African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, it's another day and it's 11 o'clock Central African time. And from Monday to Thursday, you should know now that here on Channel Africa, we have African Dialogue where we speak to experts on the big stories that are taking place on the continent of Africa. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatam. I'll be your host until midday, uh, Southern African time. Remember, we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Also on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Do join us there as well on our website you can also stream us live well letting you know what's happening today on our program we'll be looking at the searing drought that has put at least 11 million people across east africa on the brink of starvation how do we deal with that humanitarian crisis that's the answer we'll be asking today this is channel africa south africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Tambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatam. Well, today we're looking at the big concern on the African continent. We're looking at uh, looking at the searing drought that has at least put 11 million people, that's 11 million people across East Africa on the brink of starvation. Now, Africa is is uh, directly and currently experiencing the worst droughts to hit the region in 60 years. That is amazing. You can see the effects of climate change. It is predicted that the entire south of Somalia will face famine within the next two months. Other countries in the Horn of Africa are being severely affected by drought. Successive seasons of failed rains combined with increasing food prices, conflict and limited uh, humanitarian access have resulted in food and water shortages, acute malnutrition, and mass displacement throughout the region. The lack of rain has also contributed to massive livestock deaths and undermining the livelihoods of those who depend on them for economic and food security. So this is a a big humanitarian uh, story that's happening on the continent of Africa. And uh, just to assist us, we've got some experts on the line from various parts of the continent. We've got Charles McDunu, who is the senior regional uh, spokeswoman for uh, the World Food Program, uh, joining us from Nairobi, Kenya, and also Dr. Patrick Mbugua, who is uh, joining us from Amnesty International. He is the Somalia researcher. He's at the Regional Office for East Africa at the Horn and the Great Lakes based in Nairobi, Kenya as well. Now, let me start this uh, conversation with you, uh, Charles McDunu. How bad is this situation? We're told that the rest of the African continent is holding its breath to see if it will escape this drought that has crippled the country over the past year. How terrible has the drought impacted on the eastern region of the continent. Uh, let's start it with you, Chalice. Well, it's a very serious drought indeed, and there are some areas of Somalia that have already been in drought for well over a year now in the northern area. The, that drought is now spread to the southern and central regions of the country. Um, and at the moment, there are about 3 million people in, in Somalia who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Uh, and and it is possible that if there if the next rainy season fails, uh, which is due to begin sometime next month, um, and there isn't this scale up in humanitarian assistance and sustained assistance for people through the um, the, the the next rainy season, and I should mm-hmm. also emphasize that the the forecast for that rainy season is poor, um, then we could be looking at the. Uh, a possible return to famine conditions in some areas. Now, agencies like mine are trying very hard to keep that from happening. 
So at WFP, we've reached a million people in Somalia last month alone with food and cash transfers. That's double the number of people we had assisted the, uh, a month before, um, and we're trying to double that again this month. So we are making every effort to try to reach people with more assistance, but there are some significant challenges to access, particularly in the southern region, mm-hmm. uh, where because of insecurity uh, and conflict, uh, and that's a, a, a significant challenge. And we also there's a, a, a real need for uh, for resources and support from the international community because uh, there are a lot of humanitarian crises that the world is facing right now, and it really is, uh, I think, stretching the humanitarian system to, uh, uh, to close to its limit. So it's a very serious situation indeed. We're also seeing um, significant needs and concerns about uh, people being affected by drought and um, and malnutrition in Kenya and Ethiopia, but of course in those countries you've got governments that are uh, far more able and willing to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to, to lead their own response, the response to their, their, their people's needs, and we are seeing the, the situation being taken very seriously mm-hmm. by the, mm-hmm. uh, the government and local mm-hmm. authorities in Kenya and, uh, and Ethiopia, so there is significant response that's needed in those countries as well, but that is being led by local, uh, by, by, by uh, by government officials, which is uh, which is, is is an enormous improvement over the situation that the region was facing uh, five and six years ago, uh, when we also faced a very serious drought and which did deteriorate into famine uh, in parts of Somalia. So it's, I mean, as I said, a very very serious situation, and I think that we've got a, a window of opportunity to try to turn things around and to keep things to keep it from becoming a catastrophe. Uh, but the next few weeks and months will uh, will tell us uh, whether whether we're going to be successful in doing that or not. Mm. Let me bring uh, Dr. Patrick Mbugua, who is a Somalia research at Amnesty International. Charlie was speaking about some of the challenges in Somalia, especially one that is also concerning for the international community for humanitarian aid, is especially the problems of conflict uh, in Somalia that are actually preventing uh, efforts to actually assist with uh, uh, the current uh, drought that the country is facing there. Uh, is there a way forward, especially when you look at that dynamic of, of the conflict, Dr. Ambungua, and what are actually the concerns uh, regarding that specific element? Uh, thank you, thank you. The, the little constraint there is that the, unlike Kenya and Ethiopia, where, is, where the government is in control of the, of the, of the regions and they have the monopoly of islands and so on, uh, Somalia is divided into regions, some which are which claim independent, others which are semi-independent, and then they have the areas under the control of the federal government, and the areas which are the control of the armed group Al Shabaab. The effect of drought has particularly been felt in the areas under the control of Shabaab, where the government does not have control. And the areas where the federal government is situated because it is dependent on international support, especially from army. So, uh, mm-hmm. according to the data that we have collected, there are like 6.2 million people within the southern central region uh, who are, and more than half of them are facing the maximum impact or total impact of the drugs. And there are like 360,000 children who are severely malnourished, meaning that they may die in the next few weeks unless they receive urgent humanitarian aid. From the uh, war perspective, the Al-Shabaab group 
is now claiming that they are letting people move from the areas where they control because they don't allow international humanitarian assistance to get to their areas. And they have also claimed that they are providing their own assistance to the population, but nobody can, we have not been able to verify that mm-hmm. because we don't have access to the region. So basically what the war has done is that it has caused the, it has contributed to the impact of the droughts, which has in turn led to the eruption of other waterborne diseases because of lack of water, cholera, measles and all the others. Let me move on to Susanna Price, who's the Chief of Communication from UNICEF in Somalia. Susanna, thank you for giving us your time as well. Uh, we hear that Dr. Mugua there from Amnesty International really die, uh, bulging on the issues of uh, where uh, the Al-Shabaab or other army rebel groups are controlling in Somalia. It's very difficult to access there. But I also want to move on uh, to this issue of, uh, you know, especially your focus on uh, on, on children and women, that must be a concern for your organization. Yes, absolutely, uh, because children are always the most vulnerable in these kind of drought humanitarian crisis situations. In the last famine in 2011, half of those who died, so a quarter of a million who died, half of those were children. Uh, and it's the children who who become malnourished first, who become sick first, and they're the ones we're really targeting. So at the moment, for example, we're particularly concerned about children with life-threatening malnutrition. Uh, We're trying to target them. We're finding those who are severely malnourished. Uh, We're either treating them or we're taking them into our hospital wards, making sure that they get the right therapeutic food to recover. And the other area we're particularly worried about is the outbreak of cholera or acute watery diarrhea, which has similar symptoms to cholera. We've got over 18,000 cases at the moment. Uh, a large number of those, again, are children. The problem in, in this kind of situation where there is a lack of food, a lack of water, a lack of all resources, is not necessarily starvation immediately. It's illness. It's those children become particularly vulnerable to becoming ill, to getting cholera, measles, and it's actually these illnesses that they are at risk of eventually dying from. So we have to um, find those children who are sick and make sure they get the right medical attention. We also have to prevent those sicknesses uh, through vaccination, also through providing clean water so they're not drinking contaminated water and getting those waterborne Mm -hmm. diseases. Mm, very worrying um, information that you're giving there, Suzanne. I want to come back to you, uh, Charlie, in terms of looking at this situation. I know that we've been focusing on Somalia, but has this drought also affected other countries in East Africa? It has indeed. We are seeing um, significant needs um, and uh, rising malnutrition rates in Kenya. Uh, particularly in the north um, and, the, and the eastern regions, um, which are arid or semi-arid, um, there are some very troublingly high uh, levels of malnutrition. In, in several counties, it's above uh, 30%, which is twice the emergency threshold. Um, in Ethiopia, um, I mean, Ethiopia is actually in a, a, a somewhat difficult situation because they were struggling with, with uh, an intense drought that was connected to the El Nino phenomenon last year, 
um, and that created enormous humanita humanitarian needs in Ethiopia. Um, they did manage to stave off a massive catastrophe by taking a very robust approach to, um, to assisting people throughout that drought um, in a response that was led by the Ethiopian government. The drought has shifted to a different area of the country now. So you've got about half the number of people who are in need of humanitarian assistance. It's 5.6 million now compared to more than 10 million last year. But the, the, you still have people in areas of the, uh, of the country in the north and the, and the west that were affected by drought last year continue to need some support and then you have other people in different areas of the country that are now affected by this new phase of drought so it, it it's a, a somewhat complicated situation in Ethiopia and some uh, you know troubling uh, uh, levels of malnutrition and need in Kenya but we are also seeing in both of those countries very robust response and uh, and a real willingness from both uh, from the governments and the uh, and the local authorities in both countries mm -hmm. to take this problem on uh, head first. And so uh, the, I think the, the difference, I mean, basically droughts don't stop at borders. So mm -hmm. the droughts that mm -hmm. affected Somalia six years ago did also affect these other countries, mm -hmm. and we're seeing that phenomenon again this time. Um, what is different from country to country is the ability uh, of, of authorities um, and uh, local communities mm. to, to cope with that, mm. uh, with that mm. situation. Well, that's the voice of Charlie McDunu, who is the senior regional spokesperson from the World Food Programme. We also have on the line Dr. Patrick Mbugua, who is the Somalia researcher for Amnesty International. And uh, we've got Susanna Price, who is joining us from UNICEF Somalia as well. He's the chi is the chief of communications. Stay with us on the line there, and we'll continue these uh, concerns, especially what you're highlighting there. Charlie uses a very big point there that uh, uh, this particular drought was experienced in 2011 and what's concerning is that 260,000 people died in that particular famine and sometimes these big large numbers we can actually just think they're numbers but when you think of one person when you think about one child when you think about one woman when you think about one man 260,000 people is a whole lot of people so we'll come back and really look at uh, how we're responding this time around or are we going back to 2011 where there's no, not enough political will to actually change the situation. It's very, very concerning. We'll continue after this break. Something is changing at Channel Africa. Could it be news? Could it be your favorite presenter? Could it be? That's for you, our listener, to find out. From the 1st of April 2017, something will be changing or happening on your radio station. Be the first one to find out by staying tuned in. Don't miss it. Remember to check our website and all social media platforms such as Twitter at Channel Africa One, our Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube.
very, very concerning statistics and numbers that are coming from our guests here. And also what's worrying is the fact that uh, this uh, conversation of drought has not been central to the African conversation. It's actually a bit of a backdrop and peripheral right now. Uh, Sometimes I have a sense when it comes to famine and drought is that we deal with it a little bit too late and uh, just uh, worrying to see uh, some of the sentiments or to hear some of the sentiments that are being made by our guests on the line. But let me come back to our guests just to get some more clarity on the current situation in East Africa and the drought that was highlighted that Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia, the countries that are really, really affected this time around. And also one of our guests citing that uh, uh, the 2011 uh, drought in Somalia has also left consequences and could actually exacerbate the situation of this drought. Dr. Patrick Mgubua, let me come back to you instead on terms of looking at what has been done this time around. Uh, um, Charles was talking about the fact that more needs to be done this time around in terms of response so we don't see ourselves going back to the 2011 situation. Are we seeing enough of a political will? I know humanitarian organizations actually step it up but are we seeing governments actually doing something to turn the situation around? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, the response this year is far, far better than what there was in 2011. Uh, sometimes in, on the beginning of April, the UN launched an $825 million appeal for Somalia to cover half of 2017. And by the beginning of this month, less than at least about half of that money had been pledged. And then last week, there was a IGAD summit in Nairobi. IGAD brings together the countries of Eastern Africa. And the summit, in the summit, they address the question of drought and all the countries made their own commitments. Djibouti made its own commitment, Ethiopia made its commitment, Somalia itself made its own commitment regarding the responses to drought. Somalia, for example, has gone a step further. They have established what they are calling the National Drought Response Committee and they have urged all Somalis who are living in the diaspora to donate to the committee so that they can help in the response. Similarly, in the country itself, uh, there has been a lot of response by international organizations. A lot of the NGOs have moved to a city called Baidoa, where all the, they are doing all the coordination for people who are in the really, really affected in the south and central region. So, at least this year, there has been better response. Now, and we are hoping that there will be, we are going to stop a catastrophe of so many people dying the way they did, they did in 2011. Similarly, as I mentioned earlier, Al-Shabaab itself has preached that it's distributing its own assistance to the population, and then it has allowed people who are living in these areas who cannot access its assistance to move out to the areas and go elsewhere, although it still doesn't like the idea of people getting to Mm -hmm. receiving food from the so-called non-believers. Uh, last week, we also checked with the UNHCR in Garissa here in Kenya, because the UNHCR had said that they had prepared for an influx of 75,000 Somalis running away from drugs. Mm-hmm. And yet, by the mid-last week, not even a single individual had crossed the border to come to the Kenyan side mm-hmm. because of, because of drugs, meaning that they have received better response on the Somali mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm.
Let me, let me take it to you, uh, Suzanne. I know that the United Nations last month spoke of 4.4 billion US dollars that is needed to address this crisis. Uh, your thoughts on the response this time around, Susanna? Yes, well, we, uh, we're looking for about 150 million to, uh, to work on the, the children and the women and the vulnerable uh, populations for UNICEF. Um, at the moment, we're nearly 50% funded and have really enabled us to scale up our operations. We've had very good support from the United Kingdom, the US, uh, the European Union. And what we're doing is we've got a 45-day plan and we're making sure that large numbers of children are treated to the malnutrition, that we're getting the health services out there, we're getting the clean water out there, uh, and that we're really scaling up our operation. Because as Dallas said, uh, whether the rain comes or not, now it all comes down to whether we can get that needed assistance and relief into the field. We work with other agencies. We work with the World Food Program, for example. They provide the food. We provide the clean water. So the UN agencies, the NGOs, we're all coming together in a massive operation. And that's also not to forget the Somali authorities as well and the Somali people. We're seeing amazing responses from the community. They're coming together. Businesses are giving money. Private donors are giving money. So everybody is focused on that one end, which is to save lives and to prevent a repeat of the 2011 famine. Well, that's good news to hear from uh, you saying that kind of response, and uh, you are concurring with the Dr. Um, Gubua. Uh, Charles, I want to bring it to you in terms of this issue that was uh, briefly highlighted by uh, Dr. Um, Gubua about the migration aspect of things that sometimes people move from Somalia to Ethiopia. So we're seeing that migration also becomes an factor into uh, this situation of, of the drought. Do you have does that make the dynamics very more complex or does it make it easier? Um, I think that it is one of the um, one of the features and one of the complications of um, of a response, but it's also I mean it's a resource. People's you know ability to move means that they have a chance of getting from an area where there is limited assistance to some place where they can get help. So it's a it's a it's a way that people have of coping. Um, and uh, but the the journey itself can be very dangerous. And what we saw in 2011 was that people, because they couldn't get assistance where they were in the parts of southern Somalia that were in famine, they were making these very long, very dangerous, treacherous journeys by foot, sometimes traveling for weeks to get to the refugee camps in uh, in Kenya or Ethiopia, or to get to the Somali capital Mogadishu or other parts of Somalia where they could get assistance. Um, we are seeing movement already, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of families have um, lost their livestock, and and livestock pastoralism is the core of the of the rural Somali economy. Um, and so, when people are losing livestock to drought, then that's sort of like having their bank accounts wiped out, um, and, and it's very dangerous for families. Uh, so the so people are moving, and some a lot of the movement so far is with is still within Somalia, not necessarily into the neighboring countries. There has been some uh, have been some new refugees arriving in uh, uh, in Ethiopia, including some people who are in a, a, a very 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 poor condition. But one of our strategies this year is to try to get assistance to people closer to where they are. So if we can't reach them in the areas where they live and we're trying to set up areas where they can get assistance that is much closer than having to walk into another country 
you know, that they don't have to make a quite as long and dangerous a trip. They can get assistance a lot sooner, and hopefully that will save lives. So that's a lesson mm-hmm. that we've learned from the previous catastrophe that we're uh, implementing now, working with UNICEF, working with a lot of other uh, organizations to see that people can get a full package of assistance much closer without having to travel quite so long and without having to risk their lives on the road. Well, let's wrap it up. We've got five minutes left. Let me come to you, Dr. Patrick Ngobua, in terms of how do we deal with this situation more humanely. And I see that there is support, as you all have highlighted, that there is a better response uh, this time around to the 2011 drought in East Africa. I want to ask the question that it's on Africans' lips in terms of the dehumanization that comes from media coverage and also how sometimes the celebrity veil world of pledging for uh, famine and all those things become something that kind of sensationalizes the whole famine experience and sometimes people don't take it as seriously it's almost like another uh, donor project but it's not these are human beings that we're talking about Dr. Patrick uh, Mbugua uh, how are we dealing with this in terms of also media coverage are we doing well as the media as well in terms of making sure that the world knows what's happening because I know sometimes we can actually underplay uh, such things. Uh, yeah, the media has really covered the, the drought mm. although in my view it's still very much Western-centric. Mm. There has been a lot of uh, response from, from the region. If you, for example, compare the response in Ethiopia and Kenya with that of Somalia, where there is a sitting government which is prepared for it, there has been better response. The countries may have requested international assistance, but within themselves, they have really done their part and they have, they have better response than in the past. The same applies to... Now, the problem in Somalia is that because the government does not control the country, uh, I see very much dependent on external support, then there has to be a lot of international assistance in the country. What the media needs to do now is to see how they can help the government of Somalia and the other parties uh, control more and more areas and then focus, give highlight or try to highlight the successes in the areas where the government is in control at this, at this, this time compared to 2011. And I believe if they, they do that, we shall be on our way out. But mm. the long-term solution for Somalia is an aid to the war. In one way or the other, governments have to deal with al-Shabaab and the war has to come to an end. And then the society has to be reorganized afresh so that people can produce their own food, especially in the inter-riverine areas of the country, which is the most productive. Well, let me bring it to you, Susanna, the same question. Uh, how do we actually cover a famine in a much better way? I think also uh, 2011 also was something that showed us the media that sometimes the way we cover things is not really as al- alarmist as it should be because sometimes we underplay things and it becomes just uh, another um, kind of African story and sometimes it's not taken as seriously. Yeah, that's true. I have to say we have had some very good, very thoughtful coverage mm, up to mm. now. Uh, the media are coming in. I think they are trying to tell the story in a different way. There is a concern about those images of starving children showing uh, the people as, as just victims. So I think now we are getting more coverage of what the people themselves have been doing to help themselves, what the Somalis are doing. 
I think we've also uh, had the coverage that has shown that you don't wait until you really get a spanning declared, as happened in 2011. You need to get in there, see the warning signs, see what can be done to avert it. So we are also getting coverage of areas such as why we need to stop uh, the contaminated water, how we need to help prevent disease and prevent malnutrition, the fact that children aren't just malnourished because they're starving. So in that sense, it, it, has, been, um, it has been positive. Uh, we also appreciate the fact that it has spurred a big scale up from the international community as well, and you do need that media coverage uh, to get the big donors to come in. Mm. Um, so on the whole, we would leave. We're going to continue uh, trying to get the, the, the more analytical, sensitive coverage that is needed. Mm. Charlie, your thoughts on that? I know also uh, when you look at an example like Ebola, you know, the Ebola outbreak in Brazil and in Africa, the media also played a huge role in that. You saw that effectiveness in terms of information uh, dissemination as well. Well, and I think that something, I mean, and this is a bit linked to your previous question, I think that, that something that is often um, underappreciated is the degree to which people, you know, are making enormous sacrifices and um, taking incredible risks to try to provide for their families. They are taking, you know, they're not simply sitting around waiting for somebody to come to their rescue. They're taking their fate into their own hands if they need to pick up you know, and move someplace where they can get assistance, then they're doing that. But it's, I think that the, you know, mm. recognizing the, the, you know, that these are people who, you know, can and will do whatever they can mm. to help their families survive is the key to telling those stories. It's not just about us as, mm. you know, aid agencies mm. coming mm. in and helping people. It's meeting them halfway, mm. trying to make, you know, the, just a, a fraction of the effort that people are putting on, you know, into their own efforts to, mm-hmm. to save their families um, from from this disaster. Well, thank you to our guests. I'm sure we'll be speaking to you once again just to get some follow-ups and to see how the situation is going. Thank you to Charles McDoon, who's the Senior Regional Spokesperson of the World Food Programme, joining us from Kenya, Nairobi. Thank you as well to Susanna Price, who's joining us from the UNICEF Somalia. She's the Chief of Communications there. And Dr. Patrick Mgubua, uh, Mbugua, rather, who is the Somalia researcher at Amnesty International, also from Nairobi there at the regional office for East Africa, the Horn and Great Lakes. Thank you all for giving us your time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's how we wrap up our program today. We'll be back with you tomorrow and we'll have more big stories on the African continent. Remember, we want to hear from you. Do interact with us on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. That's the number one at the end, at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. That's it for me, Benjamin Mushatama. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting.